Welcome to the Eastside Church Podcast. We're a community-driven church based in Charlotte, North Carolina, and invite you to join us on Sunday mornings at 9 or 11 a.m. For more information, visit our website, eastside.co. Glory to God for the opportunity to be here this morning. I know some other friends that have joined me this morning as well, and I see friends that have come in specifically for my time here with you, and then I see other friends that were here that were part of FCA long ago. John, he graduated in a school out there in God's country, Alex, like you said, where he created first out in the Stanley County, Monroe, Union County area. Charlotte wasn't far behind that. It wasn't far behind that, but anyway, God has uh, blessed richly, and I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for showing up, 9 o'clock. My wife's phone Got a little anxious and a little ambitious this morning. It actually skipped ahead two hours. And so I was ahead uh, of time, uh, ahead of time. And that was good. Uh, We had a chance to get up early, have a little reflection time together. She was freaked out because she thought I was actually late. And and so she kept pushing me, pushing me. I reassured her that my analog piece was now correct because it didn't automatically fast forward. And so that was good. And so I had a chance to, to go back to something here and tell her. As Alex said, I did marry my college sweetheart. God blessed me. I went to Mars Hill College. I got a major. And uh, Mina, you wouldn't know that, but that's her name, Mina. And so I came home with uh, a beautiful bride by my side. God has blessed us. We've been married this summer. We'll be 17 glorious years, and we've never had a fight. It's amazing what God can do through that. He's blessed us with two wonderful kids. Elijah is 10 years old. Preston is four, as Alex had shared with you. And they keep us hopping. They keep us extremely and excessively busy. God's blessed us. I, I would be remiss to say that uh, we have now become a, an inside dog family. We always we live out on the country in the farm. We, we have outside pets before. Uh, we've got an inside dog now, Maximus. Uh, he is a new joy to our life. Any dog owners out there in the... Uh, congregation. Fantastic. So you know what I'm talking about. He's weaseled his way into our heart. Uh, In fact, I'm working on a series of, I don't know if you want to call them reflections, sermons, devotions, all of the above, none of any. I want to come up with, and this is a perfect setting for it too, by the way, the fireside chats. I want to have life to the max based off John 10.10. Lessons learned from my creator delivered through my canine, Alex. And so I'll keep you abreast of how how that project is developing. But uh, you can learn some valuable lessons from a dog. I'm not going to get into them this morning, but you can learn some valuable things. And so God has blessed there, and we are happy, we are healthy, but more importantly, we are pursuing God's holiness. And I am privileged to be in a home where my wife not only says that she believes in Christ, but she truly believes in Jesus Christ. She prays the blood of Jesus over our family. Uh, She is raising our two boys into kingdom-mindedness to understand who God truly is. And isn't that one of the biggest deceptions of our age? Falling short of understanding who God really is. Who does he say he is? And then who is he? And then who does he say we are? And then how do we respond to that? It's tough. It's tough. I feel right at home this morning, though. Alex, thank you for that introduction. And, and I feel this was maybe one-third, that might have been 30 or, or 25% of my childhood this morning. I, my father was Church of God, but he divorced my mom early on, and, and that was 
uh, not a good situation. He really didn't want a kid at all, but then he, he got a little religious and started going to church, and he'd take me every so often, but I lived with my mom, and so I uh, grew up Baptist, but then when I went to go visit my dad, he lived with his parents, and they were Presbyterian, so Nary was there a Sunday where I wasn't either singing the doxology, quoting the Apostles' Creed, or just listening to the interpretation of God's Word through another human being that was standing right beside me. It was miraculous, and uh, it makes for a great childhood. But more than anything, folks, the one thing that I got out of it and one comment that I heard and something that I experienced when I walked through those doors this morning is that no matter where I went, I was always loved. I was loved. The love of God truly had shown through, and I had a chance to experience that in a real way no matter what doors I walked through. As Alex said, I work with FCA, but I'm a product of FCA as well. That's why I'm passionate about it. I believe that it's the number one and the most effective sports ministry in the world. And I don't need to sell you on that. Some of you may have grown up with FCA. We're now into our 63rd year of ministry. 1948, God gave a vision to a basketball coach named Don McLennan, who just recently went to be with the Lord the last 10 days. In 1954, after a conversation with Branch Rickey, who happened to be the one that integrated baseball with Jackie Robinson. Branch had given him 15 minutes in his office. And after Don McLennan got there, Branch cleared the rest of his schedule for the day. And so for the next five hours, they talked about the impact of sports ministry and athletes using their influence to share Jesus Christ. And that's where it was born, 1954. And in 1956, we had our very first camp. We're celebrating 60 years of camp season this summer. God's doing amazing things. I didn't come to give you a, a, a bunch of updates, but since the church is going to jump on board and, and be in support of our ministry, I, I would just briefly let you know that, that God is doing amazing work. We've increased. We've hired a new staff on campus. Katie Troyer has been working with me now for all of this year, started last summer. She's had a chance to disciple countless young women on campus, which was a huge necessity. I have a chance to minister and counsel men specifically, and we have outreach to different teams. I'm the chaplain for the football team. I think the thing that I'm most excited about is the baptisms that we've had. We had students that sought me out on a college campus that was attending FCA. And they asked specifically, Shannon, I've given my life to Christ. Now, three did this last semester, or a year ago, spring semester. Two others had already previously prayed to receive Christ two years earlier but all five came to me almost at the same time and said, we want to be baptized right here on campus. And I said, really? They said, we want to do it in the outdoor pool in the middle of the quad where everybody can see all of the apartments because we want our world and then ultimately the world to know that we belong to Jesus. Wow. Wow. We praise God for that. We're so thankful. We've got another baptismal that's lined up for May, right before graduation. And I'll keep you posted and let you know what comes of that. We've had a privilege to baptize six since I've been there just over a year. And God continues to do faithful and amazing things. So please be in prayer for us. Now, as I bring you the word of God this morning, because I want you to have some nuggets, something to chew on, Obviously, something that we need to go to. If you've got your Bible, open up to Isaiah chapter 31. If you've got your phone or your tablet, you can scroll over there. I'm a little bit old school. I like to bring the paper. 
helping the environment, harming the trees. Here we go. Isaiah 31, 1. For those that are still turning, it's located right after Isaiah 30. And if you're there, let me read the words of the prophet. Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help. And rely on horses who trust in chariots because they are many, and in horsemen because they are very strong, but who do not look to the Holy One of Israel, nor seek the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father God, this morning we come before you with humble hearts. Lord, filled with a heart full of worship, we're so thankful that we were ushered into your presence this morning as soon as we stepped through these doors. From the countless volunteers, Lord, that were working, uh, Lord, outside these doors to welcome visitors, to welcome friends. Lord, the sermon begins in the parking lot. Father, we're so thankful for the opportunity to come in here and then be greeted, Lord, with joyous song and wonderful singing. And Father, now to open your word and continue to step into your presence. And Father, I pray the blood of Jesus over this sermon, this message, this time together this morning. Father, I pray that eyes would be open, that hearts would be open, that that Lord, lives would be receptive to your holy word. Father, I pray that we heed the words of the prophet Isaiah as he says, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help. Lord, help us understand exactly what we need to do with alliances in our life. We pray these things in the precious name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Uh, Unholy alliances. That's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Uh, Unholy alliances. Who do you have in your life? To whom do you turn for strength? Where do you draw your comfort? Where do you get your wisdom? Unholy alliances. Isaiah was speaking of the children of Israel. And I can't help but to think as I'm singing the song, you are my strength, you are my rock, you are my provider. And I look at that as King David's words as we see that recounted countlessly in Psalms as we get a chance to hear his heart in his preaching. And I wonder why he was so adamant to point back to God and say, you are my strength, you are my rock, you are my defender. And I wonder, would it have anything to do with the fact that his descendants did, I mean, his ancestors did anything but that? You see, they were left to serve with God as their king, true? They said, or God said, I will not appoint a king among you. You will have a chance. I will be your Lord. I will be your God, and I will be your king. But their eyes, instead of solely doing this, started doing this looking at the nations around them, and then discovering we're not like they are. We are not like them. We want to be like those around us. So they started whining and complaining to God. God, make us like that. We want to have direction. We want to have power. They looked down, as Isaiah said, to Egypt for help. They saw the horses. They trusted in chariots. They are many, the horsemen, because they were very strong. 
And yet you and I are not much unlike that, are we? God appoints us the opportunity to look to him solely as our provider, solely as our king. And yet we get so enamored by those things to our left, to our right. In the world around us, you've been distracted as well. And folks, the problem with that is this. When you allow your senses to become your sovereign instead of your servant, you are destined for trouble. When you get your senses caught up, when it's extrasensory, when you, when you start seeing things and smelling things and looking at things, and all of a sudden it incites that lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes. And then you find yourself being a slave to your senses instead of allowing them to be your servants. Let the wise pray for discernment. Let our eyes be open to understand what is true and what is good and what is holy. See, I don't want to be caught up in this. So that's why I bring you a message of hope this morning that, that you would surround yourself with the right people. That you would put the right people around you. I can't tell you how many countless times I see this on a college campus. Student walks in as a freshman. Within the first two weeks, they've already decided the group of people they're going to be hanging out with, and which will pretty well determine the next four years of their life and set a trajectory for what's going to take place probably the first four to eight years after they graduate. All because of who they chose to hang out with in the first 14 days of college. Now, some of you shake your head because you're there. You remember. That was you. You showed up on the college campus, and guess who you responded to? The first person that reached out to you. Oh, Alex, how you doing, man? Looking sharp. Hey, come join our club. Be part of our fraternity. Hey, man, pledge week's going on. A couple of days, they go on. They, they put on a show. They, they give you the best of who they are. And, and then you're wooed, and you're wowed, and you're, ooh, look at them horses. Wow, check out them chariots. No, you didn't use that language. Your senses did what, though? Drew you in. They became your sovereign. They became your king. You were wowed by what you saw. Look, folks, number one, Egypt was a bad choice. It was just a bad choice. The way they operated, the way they lived, the way, what they had done to their enemies, those people around them, that they were just clearly a bad choice for Israel to even be, for the children of God to be wooed in that direction. Bad choice. Have you been there? Somebody in your life? Look, my wife's got countless girlfriends that she would have to counsel. And she'd be like, honey, he ain't good for you. He ain't good for you. People would come back and go, oh, yeah, but oh, just mm, come on now. He is, look at him. He ain't good for you. You don't need to be making this choice. The senses were leading them out of what? Becoming their sovereign instead of their servant. He ain't good for you. You see visually, you're led away by this lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh. So let's get down to it. Who, who do we need to put around us? Who needs to be in our corner? Who do we need to have that is going to be able to fight with us, beside us, and for us? I call them MVPs. MVPs. 
And they're not the ones that have all the trophies on the shelf. They're not the ones that have all of the accolades. Oh, MVP stands for something a little bit different. I'll tell you that in a moment, but just as I read God's word and he has sayings to me, I, I grew up in a house where mama constantly had sayings as well. Anybody have mama who had sayings? Yeah, I mean, me too. One of those sayings was, uh, let's see if you can finish this. I brought you into this world. It's like we had the same mama. I brought you into this world. I can take you out. If I heard that once, I heard it 500 times. Son, don't you backtalk me. Uh, what about this one? Call me. When, I heard somebody say it. When you, when you get there. Look, this generation doesn't understand that. I mean, they're texting while they're driving anyway. And they're updating all of their status on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Look at me. I'm five miles down the road. Look at me. I'm almost there. Look at me. Hey, hello. Check me out. See, we laugh nervously because you're driving beside those people when you go home or you go to lunch today. It's scary, but true. Mom said, call me when you get there. I know this is a foreign concept to some of you, but, but in our home, in all the homes I visited where my friends were, I would go there, and there would be this box on the wall. And out of that box, there was, a, there was this, this cord, this plastic cord that wound around and around. Some houses I went to, that cord was very tight, and it only hung about two feet below the phone. In my house, because that phone had to stretch over all 1,200 square feet, it came down to the floor and came out about six feet on the ground. I mean, it just, it just rode the ground. We didn't know cordless phones. It had to be that phone, and that phone was drug everywhere, and you were in danger of being clotheslined at any given moment as mom was walking through the house. She had to stay connected. This generation doesn't understand that. There's a box on the wall. Just trust me. If you're young in here, just trust me. There used to be a box on the wall. You'd have to go and make a phone call. She wanted me to call. There was one time I didn't call when I got to Jason's house. Guess what she said? I brought you into this world. I can take you out. When I finally did call. Here's another one. Let's, this, I'll end with this one. If you lay down with dogs, you'll get up with fleas. And I tested this theory. Because you, all, you just don't know that your mom's right. You know that. I, I mean, you do. Like, you do know, and then there's a point, teenage years, that you just become insane where all of a sudden they know nothing and you know everything. True. I love teenagers. I work with them in the later stages of their life. They're still that way once they get to college. You think that mom doesn't know anything. It's like she's just lost her mind all of a sudden. I mean, at one point, she was changing diapers, putting food on the table for you, and you think, man, life is good. Then the next morning, you wake up, a pimple starts to show up on your left cheek, and you're thinking, I, you know, I don't, I'm not sure that mom does quite know everything. Well, the cat's out of the bag. We don't know everything as parents. Amen? But the reality is we do know a lot, and we brought you up to this point in your life, and you're still alive, and we're praying for grandchildren because that's our reward for not killing you. So the reality is you probably need to listen. So mom said, if you lay down with dogs, you're going to get up with fleas. 
We had Sparky. Mine, I actually just found a picture with me and Sparky in the backyard, actually. Cool little picture. My boys like it because they get to see me. I was probably three years old, and little dog was in my lap. He was a puppy at the time. So mom probably told me this when I was in middle school. That's a good time to tell your kids not to lay down with dogs. And so I went out, and I tested this theory. Sparky's in the backyard, and so I literally go, and I lay down beside Sparky, and I lay there. We lay in the backyard, and we're looking around at the clouds, and I'm laying in the grass, and, and I lay there, and I lay there some more. Five turns into 30 minutes, turns into an hour, maybe an hour and a half. And then I finally get up. I come back inside, and Mom goes, Son, I saw you out in the yard. What, what were you doing? I said, Mom, you lied to me. She said, Son, well, I'm, I'm sorry. What, what did I lie to you about? I said, Mama, I don't have fleas. She said, what? Do you think I? And then she laughed and just walked away, which is probably what I would have done as well. But it wasn't until I got to about eighth grade that I realized Mama weren't talking about fleas and she weren't talking about dogs. True? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was talking about unholy alliances. She was talking about, you're going to start looking like the people you hang out around. She started talking. What she was really saying is that what your environment is, is going to control your outcome, whether you like it or not. Now, you have a chance to overcome through the power and the blood of Jesus Christ, but when you place yourself into situations, when you go and lay down with dogs, you don't believe me? Test the method. You go put yourself in a room with five negative people and let's see how long it takes your language, your attitude to start turning. And the reality is some of you are sitting in that place today. You don't want to get out. You, every time you go over to your mother's house or your sister's house, y'all got to get together and start talking about somebody else's business and somebody else's problems. And you place yourself in that situation. It got quiet. See, I stepped on somebody. I'm sorry. It's just human nature, is it not? Here's my challenge. You show me your five closest friends, and I'll show you the average of who you are. Show me your five closest uh, partners at work, and, and I'll show you who you really are. It doesn't have an age limit, folks. There's not a, oh, Shannon, yeah, that's a great message for a 14-year-old, 18-year-old. Well, sir, ma'am, if you're 48 or 88 years old and you're in here today, let me tell you, I've seen the little knitting clubs that have got together that do nothing but bash God's creation constantly. I've been with the men who think that all power belongs to them and that there's nothing sovereign about God and his provision. Why? Because of the chatter. Folks, let me challenge you to put an MVP into your life. That God would surround you. My prayer is that God would surround the congregation at Eastside Church with MVPs in your life. And here's what they are. And we'll touch on all three. The first one is people that will M, motivate you. V, validate you. And finally, P, pray for you and with you. MVPs, those will become your most valuable players, but, but, but the people that will motivate you. If we look in God's word at Proverbs 27, 17, he tells us this, as iron sharpens iron, so one man, so one woman, so one person sharpens another. 
Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. You've got to guard the alliances that you've got in your life. The way you overcome that. The way you come back from that is by putting people that will motivate you. Now, motivate you toward godly works and godly things. The problem is, now look, I've got an urban knife and a rural knife, okay, that I keep in my pocket. This, This is my urban knife. Yeah. My rural knife I got. Anybody been to Anderson, South Carolina? That's where I was born and raised. There's a jockey lot down there. It's the only place where you can buy a guinea pig, a hot dog, and a set of Craftsman wrenches all within like six feet. I'm, I'm, it is true. Amen. Yes. It's unbelievable. And there's acres of this place. Uh, grandfather bought me a knife, not this one, but he, he bought me one at the jockey lot. It was probably about six inches long. Grandma went crazy whenever I brought it home, but nonetheless, he knew what boys liked. If I take this knife... And I want to get a sharp blade on the edge of this knife. I wouldn't go to my bedroom pillow, pluck out a feather, and rub it up and down the edge of the feather. Would I? I'm going to waste my time and aggravate the feather. If I want to sharpen this knife, what would I do? I would do what Grandpa did. I would go out to the grindstone. Now, maybe your grandfather had one of these as well in his shed. He had the little foot actuator, the pump, that he would sit there and he would start going. First, he would just do it with his hands, and then he would continue to pump it. And as he pumped it, the grindstone would go faster and faster and faster, and the mill would continue to turn. Then he would take the knife, and he would lay the blade on the edge. Now, you've got to understand, as a six-year-old boy, the coolest thing in the world is about to happen. My grandfather is about to do something I've never seen any human do on the face of the planet. This man made fire come out of his fingertips. He laid the edge of that blade down onto the grindstone, and what came out next was pyrotechnics like I had never seen before. And the sparks began to fly. And then you start wondering in your mind, ooh, I bet that would really hurt if I put my hand down on there. Oh, oh, yes, it would. What if I accidentally fell and put my face on there? Yeah, oh, yeah, that would hurt. Crazy things go through your mind. My, my kids tell me that all the time. I get a chance to relive my childhood through them. But I would take that and I would sharpen it up against a grindstone. And folks, this morning, in this place, can I challenge you by asking you, who do you have in your life that you would allow to make sparks with you? I'm not talking about the sensuous sparks. I'm talking about the sparks of reality. I'm talking about the sparks of godliness. I'm talking about who do you give access to to get into your bubble, into your world, close enough to ask truth, to seek truth, and then to respond to that in truth and in love. My guess is very few. My guess is very, you probably have very few people in that inner circle. You want to know why? Because you, you, you assume the pose of the Heisman Trophy. You keep everybody at a distance. Most everybody in your life is an arm's length away. You won't let anybody come in. You won't let anybody see the real you because there's a facade that you have to keep up. There's something that you have to put on for somebody else to gain their acceptance and understanding. Church, I would challenge you this morning to find somebody that would motivate you, that would get in your face, not to whisper sweet nothings, 
I like to work out sometimes. I like to get on the bench. And, and, and the most important, I work with athletes all the time, the most important piece of equipment in the weight room is what? The spotter. It's the spotter. It's not the bar. It's not the bench. It's not the weights. It's the spotter. The spotter is there for motivation. The spotter is there for encouragement. The spotter is there to make sure you live to lift another day. The spotter. And yet you don't surround yourself with any spotters in your life. There's no spotters that you've got around you, Proverbs 27, 17. There's no iron sharpening iron in your life. You've got a lot of people in your life, perhaps, that just tell you what you want to hear. Oh, you're doing so good. It's so great. God bless you. You're doing so wonderful. Things are good. And you hear that constantly, and you truly believe in your own mind, and your own rights, that your life is okay. It's accountability, folks. That's what it is. I don't need somebody to tell me, oh, it's so good. When I'm going for a new one rep max, I need somebody to get over the bench and baptize me in their spit. I need them to shout at me. I need them to get in my face. I don't need somebody whispering Robert Frost about two roads diverged in a yellow wood. I need to know what my potential is and somebody helping me reach my potential. Who do you have in your life that's helping you reach your potential in Christ Jesus? My guess is you have nobody. Nobody asks you what your routine is after work. Nobody's asking you what your habits are on the computer. Nobody's asking you how well you're loving your wife or how well you're loving your husband or how well you're loving your kids. I, just a guess. That would seem on par with our culture. And since we're in the shameful place now where the church is doing more like reflecting the culture than actually setting the standards for our culture, we've come to a very dangerous place, folks. Who do you have that will motivate you? Get into your bubble, into your circle. Who would you give the keys to? Here. I give you permission and access. Now, guess what? You can't get offended. When they open that door, you can't just push back and go, how dare he ask me that? You gave him the keys. I challenge you to evaluate the networks and the friendships that you have around you right now, your colleagues, those you conference with, those you do life with. And you need to find some spotters. You need to find some motivators that you invite to come into your life that will ask you tough questions. Give them permission. I think another part of that is validators. You need people that will come in and, and validate you. Now, here, here's my illustration for this. You know, you got to love commercials. Every kiss begins with K, right? So I give my wife this, this diamond ring. And uh, Bethany, can, does yours come off? Okay, can I see it for a moment? You can see I like to pace and walk and participate with the audience here. This, this is um, what Michael gave you for engagement. Wow, it's beautiful. <laughs> is there any family history behind that? There is. Well, it, it looked that way. It looks classic. 
did you take it to the jewelers to make sure that it was real? You have. Oh, well, good, because somewhere down the line, you didn't trust whoever handed it to you. <laughs> Smart man. He wanted to make sure, right? I can understand that. And, and I might do the same thing. You see, Michael, if I'm guessing, and I don't know where your jeweler of choice is, but I would presume that you probably went to a jeweler as opposed to going to a pawn shop. You see, if I want to know the real value of this ring, I'm, I'm not going to go to a pawn shop. I'm not going to go to my trash collector. Or my, in the country, we ain't got trash collectors. We, we take it off ourselves. That's where you get all the muscles and loading that stuff back on the back of the truck. But, but my, and my guy asks me every time, I, I mean, he's just funny. He's like, are you supposed to be throwing that stuff away here? You sure you live here? I'm like, dude, you got amnesia? What's going on, man? I come here all the time. I wouldn't take my ring to my trash guy and go, hey, man, you tell me how much this is worth. If I could cash it out, you wouldn't be happy with what I got in return for what that trash man told me that was worth. No different than when the trash collector, when we lived in Matthews, then we had a service that came by. We lived in a cul-de-sac, coolest job in the world. You get to travel down the highway, 55 miles an hour, hanging on to the back of a big blue or green truck. Amen, right? I got some laughter over here because you know it's true. Can you imagine just devoid of all other responsibilities and that's all you've got to do? It looks attractive sometimes, Amen. And I'm thinking, that might be my post-retirement job right there, at least for a week and a half. That's got to be the coolest thing. But my trash collector jumps off the back of the truck, and we live in Matthews. My garage happens to be open, and he looks inside. Now, we're, we're there for maybe two years at this point. He looks in. Now, not like he's scoping my place out. Let me, I, mean, I want to frame this up right. You know, if you live in Mecklenburg County or Matthews, be like, oh, i got to keep my eye on those garbage collectors. But, but we had gained some rapport. I had been out shooting basketball before, and he had seen me out there. We had some conversations, and he, he happened to look in. He goes, Mr. Powell, we knew each other. He goes, Mr. Powell, how much would you take for that bike up in there? I said, well, <laughs> look, bro, you got to understand something. Everything on this property, minus my wife and my kids, has a price tag. Everything is for sale. <laughs> I mean, we ain't running Sanford and Son at the house, but I'm just telling you, everything here can go because it's going to burn one day anyway. I said, what would you offer me on that bike? You get, what, Sir, what would you take for it? I said, no, 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 no. I asked you, what would you give for it? That's, that's what I want to know. He stepped back, scratched his head. He said, Mr. Powell, I give, I give you $15 for that bike. I try not to show the look of surprise over my face. So you don't understand. I know how much I had to work in college to earn the money to buy that Schwinn mountain bike that just happened to be made in the USA at that time. I know how much money I had earned and paid and sweated and tears and riding on campus. And it had some backstories. But again, I mean, the guy offers me 1000 bucks. The bike's his, right? I didn't know what it was worth to him. I know what it was worth to me, and it was a little bit more than 15 bucks. I told him, uh, he said, what do you think? I said, let me pray about it. I got to know. So <laughs> he said, oh, okay. Well, I said, you can come back with another offer later on. It would be good, and that would be fine. Guys, look, the point being, you're not going to go to a pawn shop or a garbage collector to try to find out what your worth is. 
So why on earth would you go to a fellow creation? Why on earth would you go to a magazine? Why on earth would you go to the television or Dr. Oz or Dr. Phil or Oprah Winfrey or fill in the blank to try to get validation on who you are? They did not make you. They did not create you. The reason I would take this ring to a jeweler is why? Because they make rings. They are the creators. They're the ones that harvest and get the precious jewels and the precious metals and craft them together and and then present them. Guys, I would not go to somebody to my left and my right so that I could compare my life to. You must go to the one who made you. Folks, are you floundering in here this morning? Are you constantly turning to the left and the right to try to find out how you measure up against society, against your neighbor, against somebody else? Gosh knows, it probably happened here this morning. You look, how are they dressed? What are they wearing? What's going on? I I saw what they drove into the parking lot. It's human nature. But you're looking everywhere for validation. Do you have a friend that will come in Take your chin, point it back up to God to remind you whose you are. Then that will dictate who you are. Who in your life have you given access to come in and lift that chin back up toward the heavens? Not to give you their earthly, man-made opinion about what your potential is or what you can do, but point you back to Scripture. Do you have somebody that will tell you who God says you are? What about what we find in John 1, 12, that you are a child of God? What about John 15, 1, where they'll tell you that Jesus is the vine, but you are the branches, a conduit of Christ's life? Do you have somebody that will lift your chin and point you to remind you that you are a friend of Jesus? John 15, 15, that you've been justified and redeemed, Romans three twenty four. What about will they remind you that your old self was crucified with Christ, that you're no longer a slave to sin? That's huge. Romans 6, 6. Will they also tell you that you're not condemned by God? Romans 8, 1, that you've been set free from the law of sin and death. Romans 8, 2, and that as a child of God, you are a fellow heir with Christ. Romans 8, 17. You've been accepted by Christ. You've been called to be a saint based on the authority of the Scripture and God's Word. Do you have somebody that will lift your chin back up to heaven and remind you of these godly promises and how you've been created in Christ Jesus? My prayer would be yes. My fear is that maybe not. Maybe you're lacking in that area. Maybe you've got a lot of people that will give you their own opinions, but very few that will point you back to the Word of God. Folks, in a day and an age where we are living in troubled times and the world is mixing up all of God's messages because Satan wants nothing more than a counterfeit. He will allow 99% truth. You know that, right? He'll allow that. So that one seed of doubt, so that 1% of inaccuracy, so that 1% of lie can be fed into you. He didn't take Adam and Eve out of the garden, did he? He just asked him one simple question. Will you surely die? 
Find folks that will come around you to validate you. Finally and lastly, MVPs, the P, they'll pray for you, with you. Scripture tells us that James 5, 16, that the prayer of a righteous man availeth much. We're not only confess our sins to one another, but pray for one another. I remember Brian. Brian was a year ahead of me. And I remember going over to his house, and he was really the one that taught me not the value of prayer, but the beauty of, of prayer. Being with him, the presence of prayer. I remember we would go and we would lay in the driveway. He had a, a huge, I mean, it was like one of those, you, you, like, better than any lazy boy. It just wasn't as comfortable because the incline, the grade was like 45 degrees, which was incredible during a, a you only sled down the thing one time because you, you'd break a leg when you hit the garage door. But we would go and we'd lay on this thing and he had an open, open air view of the sky. And I remember several nights that Brian would invite me out there. And we would just kind of find our own little piece of concrete. And this is the first time I ever remember this. Brian said, hey, man, what would it be like if we just prayed right now? I said, oh, man, that'd be cool. That'd be cool. Yeah, yeah. We're in 11th and 12th grade, respectively. He said, let's do it while we're gazing at the stars. And the Baptist part of my upbringing looked over and go, dude, we're going to pray with our eyes open? What? He said, yeah, yeah, is that okay? <laughs> then, the, then the Presbyterian side of me thought, I'm not elected to do this. I can't do this right now. <laughs> we laid out on the concrete. We stared at the heavens, and we began to pray as we just magnified God. It wasn't loud. It wasn't unruly. It wasn't chaotic. It was just simply offering blessings and praise back to God for blessing us because he first loved us. We wound up laying in that driveway for 40 or 50 minutes just praising God. Brian was a man of God that understood the power and the presence of prayer. And he ushered me into a new understanding of what it meant to have conversation with him. So we laid out there and I got to speak beauty back to my creator as I adored his beauty around me. I allowed my senses not to become my sovereign because it would be very easy to worship the stars. I allowed my senses to become my servant so that I am now under the influence of a holy God that I worship in spirit and truth. Do you have someone that would come around you that would pray with you and for you? That would undergird you? That would be at your right or your left? And perhaps you're going to find those persons, all three of those, wrapped in one package. Please understand that's rare. It's rare. But you're going to find somebody that will possess a spirit to not only motivate you and speak truth into you and pray for you and validate you, but I challenge you. This morning I challenge you to beg God as you begin to form and evaluate your alliances in your life, there's some that you need to let go of. I'd preach this to college students. I would preach this at a senior adult retreat. Because there's never an age where we stop building new alliances or holding on to broken ones. Where are you right now? Where are you right now? And who have you invited on that journey with you? 
Would you pray with me? Woe, woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses. Woe to those who trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are very strong. Woe to those who do not look to the Holy One of Israel. And woe to those who do not seek the Lord. Father God, I pray that as we reevaluate our alliances this morning, Father, as we look into your face and we ask ourselves, Father, who have we surrounded ourselves with? Will the alliances in our life match up, Lord, to bring you pleasure and glory? Or have we put ourselves in a position, Lord, where the negative influences continue to beat around us? We find ourselves defined by the environment in which we've placed ourselves. Father, we have a chance to stand up for truth. As we exit this building this morning, Lord, we have a chance to go into a lost and a dying world and change our environments. We get to select. Under your authority, we get to ask. We get to invite people into our lives. Will we seek out MVPs? People that will motivate us onto good works, to outdo one another in love? As Paul tells us. We find people that will validate us because their opinion means very little, Lord, but they will lift our chin to heaven to remind us of who you are and whose we are. That if we're in Christ, we're redeemed. We're not condemned. We're a child of the King. We're highly favored. We're heirs to the throne. And God, you became our sacrifice. And we can stand before you blameless. I don't understand it, but I believe it. Father, will we surround ourselves with people that will pray for us and with us? Chatter is cheap. Talk is easy. i got enough people in my life, Lord, that will talk with me. I've got enough people in my life that will discuss the weather. I've got enough people in my life that will discuss business or just everyday comings and goings. But, Father, I pray that you would raise up for this congregation folks around them that would pray with them and for them and over them as they plead the blood of Jesus. So, Father, during this time of decision, I turn it back over to Pastor Alex, Lord, and I just ask that you would move in and amongst this congregation, Lord, as you see fit. Have your way with us, Lord. It's in Christ's name I pray. Once again, thank you for listening to the Eastside Church Podcast. If you have any questions or need more information, please visit our website, eastsidechurch.co.